Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Uh, Hope you're starting the week off well. Got a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about couples conflict, how to add mindfulness to relationships and sex. It's going to be good stuff. So much to talk about. I wanted to talk about a few things that are going on in the news that are specifically mental health related. Um, Elliot Page, he's out there showing off his body. Uh, great. We're happy for Elliot's journey, but I just wanted to give a mental health perspective. Just be very thoughtful. We're working on not commenting on people's bodies. Demi Lovato was talking about this last week. Like you never know what, what someone's trying to go do or go through. Maybe they lost weight due to an illness. Maybe they're trying to gain weight and saying you look like you lost weight is triggering that. We want to be very thoughtful. It's a very loaded topic because of the way our culture looks at bodies and fitness. And so I want to be very thoughtful, but remember the beauty success of Elliot Page is that he's living his truth, right? And that he's working in the industry as as himself. Um, it's not about the fact that he has abs. There was a picture he posted um, shirtless and a lot of people are zeroing in on the fact that he has abs and it's like that has nothing to do with absolutely anything, anything at all. And we want to be, we want to reel in discussing things like that. Um, it's fat phobia, right? It really, really is in there. And having a gym body or what we define as a conventionally um, attractive body doesn't indicate that someone's healthy, well, or doing great. It tells us nothing. In fact, sometimes it's a sign of people not taking care of themselves. So we got a lot of eating disorders that are going on in the world, specifically in the LGBTQIA community. And we wanna just be very thoughtful about what we're complimenting. Because remember, when you compliment something, you're telling people that's what I value most in you. Um, And you're reinforcing the idea that that's something they need to hold on to or provide to the world to be seen as worthy. It traps them. Compliments can trap. So it's really important to not compliment something like someone's body, because again, we don't know what their relationship to their body is. It can often be fat phobia for glamorizing and complimenting weight loss, because we don't all need to lose weight. You don't need to have a smaller body. But even bigger than that, we're not trying to trap people in the idea that their form is what's most important or meaningful about them. Give compliments about things that are sustainable, that really are about themselves in a way that they can sustain. Um, Our bodies will always fail us. Our bodies aren't something we can always manipulate in the ways we want, and it traps us in in that struggle. So we're trying to kind of move away from that. So I wanted to really call that out. Also, God, I'm sure you've seen this. This has gone viral. There's a school and uh, 80 female students in Florida had their pictures for the yearbook digitally edited to hide their chests. I looked at the photos, there's cleavage. Well, you know what? Because some people have boobs and boobs lead to cleavage. And uh, there's nothing wrong with seeing cleavage. If you are sexualizing someone's cleavage, you're telling on yourself, stop doing that then. Um, Even if people are fully clothed, you can sexualize and see them, right? Other people shouldn't have to hide their bodies because we think some people can't deal with their impulses or manage themselves around arousal and eroticism. If the world is so dangerous that someone seeing a girl's cleavage in the yearbook is a problem, then we need to have a talk with ourselves. We can't hide away eroticism. The work is about learning how to encounter eroticism, deal with our arousal, not hide it away, never have to learn how to deal with it, and then act surprised that we live in rape culture. Rape rape culture is literally born out of people not working on or learning how to deal with boundaries, impulse control, and their arousal. We need to learn how to see attractive things in the world and do nothing about it. We need to learn how to humanize people. We need to learn how to see people that are underage in their high school yearbook pictures, wearing something they like to wear, and it's okay for them to acknowledge that they have boobs and they're not gonna hide it out of shame. And then the school system shames them for having the body they have by by 
photoshopping away. That's not how we deal with it. We need to learn how to encounter it, how to have healthy conversations around it. There's nothing wrong with eroticism. There's nothing wrong with sexuality existing in the world. People don't need to cover up. They need to let, let's be more naked. Let's learn how to accept that, deal with that, and move through the world seeing that. We don't need to hide everything away. We're getting so Victorian. There was a time when women didn't show their wrists or, the ang- or their ankles because it was too sexual. So everything covered everything. There was a time in Victorian culture when they even covered the legs of chairs and tables because that was too suggestive. That is not what we need to go back to. That's shame-based. We don't need to be ashamed of our bodies and our sexualities. It's okay to celebrate that. It's okay to lean into that. But have impulse control and boundaries and empathy and understand how to work with that and how that impacts someone. That's what the work is about. Otherwise, we're in rape culture again, where we're implying that your body is worthy of shame and should hide it. And I'm not responsible for my responses to your body. You're responsible for having even shown it. No, no, sorry. We are responsible for our reactions to someone else's body. That's how we dismantle rape culture and sexism. You know, did you hide the men's muscles that are shown through shirts? No, why? Oh, you believe women are better, 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 better impulse control and boundaries? Well, then we need the men to step up and work on that. It, it's a mess. It's not actually a good message. It's actually a horrible message. Um, and then uh, I guess while I'm on a tear about schools, let's just talk about the fact that some schools are banning pride flags. I'm looking at an article from Indiana. It ordered teachers to remove pride flags from the classrooms to maintain viewpoint neutrality. Again, the worth or value or presence of someone's life isn't a political issue. Gay people exist. They have a right to have support and allies, especially in a toxic environment that's so heterocentric, often like high school. You know what I mean? But that's not a political thing to acknowledge gays and that gay people should have rights or trans people exist and that they should have rights. We have so much work to do. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, like I said, we're going to talk about couples and couples conflict and how to better deal with it. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris. Loveline is brought to you by Astroglide, personal lubricants and massage oils for everyone. Stick around. We'll be back. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back. And uh, <clears throat> was reading this article, and I couldn't wait to share it with all y'all. It was something that I thought was really profound and really interesting. And uh, as, as, as longtime listeners know, I like, I like new tools. I like us pushing forward. I like when we reframe things and think in terms of uh, transformation, right? A lot of people really do believe that there's something constructive in complaining, right? about their partner or the quality of their relationship, but they don't always understand, again, that the work is about looking at ourselves. What are we allowing? What are we creating? How are we part of this system that isn't working for us within the relationship, right? Because it's a feedback loop. And, you know, in healthy adults, we don't care who started it. We look at our role in maintaining it, initiating it, perpetuating it, but more importantly, we take responsibility for stopping it. Children care about who started it, who's right, who's wrong. Adults try to deepen connection and intimacy. And they see everything as a learning moment because they think in service of the relationship. They're not thinking in service of protecting themselves or their ego, right? That's what a child does. Is it a child, the child perspective isn't relational. It's not cooperative, it's about self. And that's what a child needs to do. Yes, we need to teach children how to interact with others. Yes, we need to teach children empathy. In fact, it's you know mandatory that we do that as parents or caregivers because children need those skills. But it's a developmental thing that children start to think again in a different way. But for adults, just start there for a second and check yourself. Are a lot of your fights or issues or conflicts centered around you creating a me against them kind of style? Or is it saying, You know, I want us to be together as friends, as loved ones, as partners, and how can I work with 
what's frustrating me or disappointing me in service of us being better or closer. So conflict is very profound. I say all the time, you know, the health and sustainability of a relationship is how they manage conflict. Um, in some ways that is misunderstood because a lot of the research shows that, you know, healthy relationships aren't devoid or without conflict. It's that they manage it really well. And that's really what that seeks to say is that if you manage conflict well, everyone will feel close, happy, full of trust. It'll be robust and and you'll manage it. So it's not about saying, I can't believe we're still fighting about this. It's always about how is it that we're going about unpacking this issue? Because for a lot of couples, the things that they have conflict over are not resolvable. It's about managing and managing them well. Um, so again, it's really about making this better, higher level decision that I want to be very thoughtful about how I interact with this person that I'm in, you know, uh, a conflict and here's what you need to do. And I thought that this was mapped out really beautifully. So I'm pulling from a few different sources. Um, so here's what you want to ask yourself. And again, this is only to be used within healthy, trusting relationships. If your relationship is abusive physically or emotionally, please work on you know getting out. Uh, but within the context of healthy individuals, people that want to be in the relationship they're in, right? We don't want to do this work if we're not with a partner we want to be with. We want to first say to ourselves, in this conflict, what do I think this is really about, right? Because conflicts that have a lot of energy in them, right? Conflicts that aren't easily dealt with, right? Where there's a back and forth or a return, there's often a deeper need getting met within that, or there's a deeper meaning, right? What is that about for my partner? Why are they digging their heels so deeply into that? Why does that mean so much, right? Let's say we're, you know, whatever it is. <clears throat> and so the question that a healthy partner says is, why is this important to them? And I want you to ask. That's also the thing I'm always trying to mind y'all. Whatever you have that, you, that you're trying to explore, bring it forward. Be transparent. Be intimate. So you'd say to your partner, why is this important to you? You would pause and you'd care. That's, that's what a partner does in conflict. They have curiosity and care. And they see this person really, really battling this issue. And you have to go deeper and say, what is this really about? And you can say that to them. It seems like, and he always notice my tone. I'm not just, you know, winging it. Whenever I'm delivering a perspective or, a, or scripting out something, always hear my tone. It's not argumentative because I'm going into a place of care and curiosity. And I'm saying, why is this important to you? This seems very important to you. Help me better understand that, right? Um, what are you relating to? How is maybe this issue or what you're fighting for tied to a higher purpose or goal? Is there a wish or a fantasy within that? Because oftentimes it's not about whether or not we are having dinner at home or going for you know takeout or eat at a restaurant. If someone's really pushing for that, the question is, what's the deeper meaning? Here's an example. The person fighting it might say, because it's really important to me to know that we're sitting down, spending time together and eating versus missing out on that connective opportunity and just getting food to go and eating it in the car. And when you ask a question like, tell me why going home to eat is so important to you, you learn about that. And then it shifts the entire dynamic because now it's not that they're being a pain in the butt and just really, really, really wanna go home and eat. You understand the fantasy, the meaning, the purpose, right? The, the mechanism that's in there. And I think just that can change the entire landscape of a relationship, right? Because what we're doing is we're, we're, we're transforming, we're learning. And a lot of conflict really does has, have it often these undercurrents or these threads of deeper meaning. But we have to be interested in connecting and being close, not in what most of us do, which is our egos on the line and we just need to be right. We just need to feel heard. And it's often not actually about that. Because remember, we're always entering these conversations with soft startups. And we know that that the way a conversation or conflict, the way it starts is often how it ends. And if you enter with guns blazing, having it at a 10, well, it's going to kind of go that way, maybe amplify. But if you enter at like a two or a three, especially around highly triggering topics and conversations, most likely it might get to stay there, right? But at least you're starting on a lower level. But I like the idea of curiosity and care. What, what, is, what is the meaning in this for my partner? This decision-making, whether it's them wanting another child or a career change or moving to a different city, instead of just battling your position versus their position, thinking the issue is about getting to a res resolution, because that's what it's usually about, the anxiety of just getting to a resolution, you have to actually make it relational and say, this is a moment for me to learn about them. Because again, not all of these conflicts are resolvable and that's okay. We gotta take a little break. Uh, when we come back, we're gonna keep talking about this conflict, relationality, 
care and curiosity. That's the takeaway. Um, and then uh, we'll be gliding to those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in our uh, IGs. I mean, drop it in the DM on our IG page. <laughs> oh, Lord. All right, we'll take a little break. We'll be back. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about uh, some couples issues and we're you know really just unpacking the whole idea that you want to always <clears throat> move through your adult relationship with an adult lens and moving away from childhood notions, which are quite normalized in the adult population is this whole idea of like right or wrong, being heard, getting, you know, and what it often really has to be about is us. How's this impacting us, right? And we don't enter conflict with curiosity and care saying, what is what is this about for my partner? What what stake do they have in this? Why is this so meaningful to them? And that's like this left out uh, nuance, but it's actually far more than a nuance. But it's like a it's a flippant perspective. We're not just battling it out to get to resolution. And that's that whole um, saying about you know never go to bed angry. Well, no, you do. Couples have to learn how to carry conflict with them. Not everything can be resolved. And sometimes when we're dysregulated, we need to put a pause on it and say, listen, we're going to stop. This is getting a little nasty. I love you. Let's maybe go to bed and we'll deal with it tomorrow. Hear my tone and languaging. That's how it ideally should go. Couples, it shouldn't be such a throwdown fight where that kind of statement isn't possible. We're right-sizing everything. I'm going to keep circling through the same perspectives to nauseam until everyone's internalized it. If it's a level two, keep it a level two. If it's a level three, keep it a level three. A lot of times the things we're fighting about are not level tens, but yet we're acting that way. We have to tone it down. We have to stay soft, right? And sometimes we have to go to bed angry, realizing this is something that's going to take a lot of time to chisel away out. We'll come back to that. I love you. Good night. That's what it should look like. Understanding each other's perspectives. Um, not everything's going to get resolved. And that's often what we go for, ignoring the impact that this, you know, resolution battle is having on our relationship. Also, that ties into some other dynamics. I was looking at some work. I'm putting together a program. So all, all these different disparate things all over the place. But they're looking at just bedtime. And I thought that this was an interesting thing because I do work with some couples where they go to bed at different times. And it, what comes up around that is the same thing that comes up around a lot of conflict with uh, technology and cell phone use, which is partners are, seeking, uh, partners are often seeking shared experience. And that's why when we're doing different things, we're not really building intimacy. And that's why there's a distinction between watching television together or eating together and being separately on your phones. Uh, watching television together, or eating together, it's a shared experience. And we're both having the same experience and we're both accessible. I can make eye contact. Uh, we're having the same experience so I can comment on it and bond with you over it. But if we're separately on our computers, separately watching something, separately on our phones, that is not intimacy building. Your body being near my body is about proximity, but that's not intimacy. And there's no shared experience. You're not experiencing what I'm experiencing. I can't easily connect with you over it. And we're both kind of checked out and distracted. And there's a place for that. Be checked out as much as you want. Dissociate as much as you want. It's a really healthy thing in our very difficult triggering culture. However, we need to prioritize couple time. So it's not just about uh, deal with conflict better, which is what we were just talking about. But it's also about creating those moments and spaces. Our lives are so busy. Um, it's kind of like what we talked about in the nutrition world. So content warning, here comes a, a discussion on food. So I studied nutrition and food science for four years at NYU. Great school, great program, top of the line educators, people like Mary and Nestle, these like, you know, icons in the field. And one of the most important things that I learned was however many meals you eat in a day, that's the amount of opportunities you have to get all the things that your body needs. If you eat two meals a day, three meals a day, I eat about four or five, I eat about every three hours. Um, those are that, that you have that many opportunities to get and give your body everything it needs. Um, same thing in our relational lives. Uh, you might see your partner in the morning and then they're gone all day long or you are, and then you see them again at night. Well, that's two moments and those two moments, you need to give your relationship everything it needs. And so you have to capitalize on those moments, but here's the kicker. It, it's simple things. That is the beauty of bonding and intimacy and relationality is it's the simple, free, easy things. Now I was putting out on my IG story over the weekend, all the tips so as to stay close and connected. Uh, also talked about on yesterday's show about keeping the spark alive. And one of the things I was talking about is just romanticizing and sexting your partner every day and how simple the ways we can do that are. You need to look at the moments where you have access to them. And maybe some people have breaks during the day where they'll send a cute text or they'll get them on the phone. That might be a third or fourth moment. But those few moments, and they are few, have to have enough robustness built into them that they make us still feel close and connected. If they don't, 
Well, then of course we're going to feel disconnected and far away and maybe not prioritizing each other. And then that can lead to later down the road issues. So just think about that. When do you get to see your partner? In the morning and at night when they get home? Okay, well, those two moments need to count. And you need to turn those into date night or what I call shared experiences. And that's why I use that word. Date night often makes us sound like, ugh, after a long day, we got to get showered and get dressed up and leave the house and go to dinner or go to a movie. No, you just need shared experience. Experience where you're both close, connected, accessible, available, participating in the same thing. That's all you need. That can be sitting on the couch looking at each other talking, just looking at each other. That can be going for a walk every night with the dog, without the dog. You know what I mean? That can be walking down to the local whatever and grabbing ice cream. That can be just sitting in bed watching a show together, but allowing yourselves to interject and connect and tell a story. You know what I mean? Sitting down and having dinner, sitting down and having tea, um, just laying there and cuddling and playing music and talking. So I like using the word shared experience because I think date night implies grandiosity and expense and it doesn't have to. So just use that as an opportunity. You know, these few experiences we have have to count right? They have to mean something. Um, all right, we're gonna take a break. And uh, yeah, then we're going to be doing a little DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris. Loveline's brought to you by Astroglide, personal lubricants and massage oils for everyone. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. And now it's time to glide into those DMs. Gliding into the DMs. Tonight's DM says, uh, oh, it's a little bit of a long one. So uh, hang in there. Hang in there with me. Hey, Dr. Chris, my girlfriend and I have been, have not been good for a while. I had to go back to work and her mental health took a turn for the worse. At work, I was getting page long text messages about simple problems. We haven't had sex in almost two years. I'd come home from a long day and just want to relax and make dinner with her, but she was always talking about other people's drama and finding little things to argue about. I told her that I needed a break wrote her a letter telling her all of my feelings. And one day while I was at work, she packed up her things, she moved out. She hasn't spoken to me since <clears throat> or returned a text message I sent asking her if she was safe. I kind of have two questions. One is what she's done in okay response to just go silent and not talk to me at all. It's like she doesn't want to fix it. And two, I feel like I'm getting more and more anxious and upset that she hasn't even tried to talk to me. I wanted a break, but I didn't mean I wanted the silent treatment for weeks. So much in this, um, so much in this. And uh, funny enough, we'll be talking a lot about this later in the week. Um, later in the week, we're gonna be talking about appropriate uses of text messaging because of this very reason. So I want everyone to kind of have a little bit of a learning lesson in this um, issue that you're struggling with. First off, when someone's at work, leave them alone. When someone's out with their friends, leave them alone, right? Unless it's a true crisis issue, in which case, please reach out and put your partner first. If I'm at work and my partner needs something, that's prioritized. But when I'm at work, I don't want to be bothered by things that aren't a crisis or an issue, right? So hear that. You shouldn't, first off, and we'll talk about this later in the week, but number one, you shouldn't be sending text messages about problems. You shouldn't be sending text messages about complaints or critiques. Text messaging is for quick, short conversations. How are you? Checking in thinking of you, can you pick this up on the way home? What time will you be home? I'm running late. We do not process anything over text message, okay? So that make that your first rule. And apply that to people. Someone sends you a page long saying, hey, this is text message, or hey, I'm at work. I wanna hear what you have to say. Everything you're thinking and feeling is important, but I'm at work, I will read this with you when we get home and we can talk it out. Start to set that boundary and let people know when we're face-to-face -face in the right time and context, we can talk this out. But if you're firing off complaints or attacks on text message, you need to work on boundaries, empathy, and impulse control. That's not what that is for. And it's not fair to flood someone at work, out with their friends, with things that are not needed or not a crisis. Calm down and breathe. When they get home, you can say, hey, I wanted to share with you some thoughts or concerns I had while you were gone or while you're at work, but I knew that that's not the time or place, and I know that text message is not the way to deliver that, so I calmed down, regulated myself a little bit, took a breath, and I waited till you got home. So that's the first, word, first way we approach that. We don't flood people over text, and we don't share processy things like that. So that's number one. Number two, it's absolutely horrible that she hasn't brought you into the process of discussing what to do about the relationship. If you're in a relationship with someone, you share with them your thoughts and concerns. Hey, I'm thinking of leaving, I'm not feeling cared for, but you don't just leave and block them. You don't just leave and disappear. That's violent, 
And that's actually showing that you're not safe. So to the writer of this question, be glad she's gone. This person was not healthy. They didn't have good communication skills as evidenced by sending you things while at work, uh, sending you these long messages without being able to calm down and process, and by disappearing. This person has a lot of work to do, so you're better off without them. So that's number one. Your second question, you're getting more and more anxious and upset. You should. She didn't hold up her end of the bargain. What she did was very unkind and very unloving. And I'm afraid she's not going to recognize that and will just enact that kind of mess on her next relationship. Feel bad. Be bummed out. But your work next time is to set a boundary. Hey, I'm at work. I can't be getting these kinds of messages from you. It's not even a crisis. I know you're upset with some things in our relationship. We can talk lovingly about it once I get home or over the weekend, but not over text and not while I'm at work or even while I'm at friend with friends or while I'm at the gym or while I'm grocery shopping. None of those are the place or the time for any of that stuff. We all need to get better about it. We are misusing text. We're misusing technology. It is not for all of that. You know, and so that's one of the rules I set. So a little bit of a learning lesson for all of us. I'm sorry that that happened, but um, this person was going to do something unhealthy eventually. This is just not the way it's done. So sorry that happened. Uh, if you have a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. We're always there for that. Always open and uh, past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. Coming up next, we're going to talk about mindfulness. You listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q brought to you by Astroglide. Gliding into the deep. DMs is brought to you by Astroglide. All right. Now that we're in the second hour, we can get a little more adult. So, uh, you know, I don't want to say put the kids away because I think all these topics are really important for everyone to hear, but it's age appropriateness. So you got to be, you know, step into your role as parent if there's children around. Anywho, second hour of the night, let's get real. We're going to talk about mindful sex, including mindful masturbation. Um, I always feel like I have to keep reiterating, you know, a few points just to really drive it home. Sexuality exists on a continuum. There's partnered sex and there's solo sex. Both are important. Solo sex is masturbation. They are very similar and very distinct. You know, both are about our relationship to self and other. Uh, solo sexuality, masturbation, is something that's for us, about us. Uh, we don't need to involve our partners. Uh, we can have boundary and privacy around that or not. I'd love for us to be with healthy enough partners where we can let them be aware of, join in on our solo sexual activities. But sometimes we're with someone who's a little sexually phobic or sexually immature, and they're not comfortable. One of the more profound moments, and this happens in straight couples, uh, gay couples tend to be far better around understanding sexual boundaries, sexual diversity, sexual creativity. Straight couples, not not all of them, but some of them tend to panic when they find out that their partner has their own sex life with themselves. And that's the whole point of uh, solo sexuality is autonomy. It's not about our partners. Our partners' opinions don't matter on it. It's like we get to decide what music we listen to, what foods we eat, what televisions we sh shows we watch, and also what we do with our own bodies with ourselves. That's part of autonomy, right? So when your partner's home, maybe we discuss what we're going to watch together. But when they're not home, you get to watch whatever you want. Same thing with music and food and sex with your yourself. Um, you have a right to watch the porn you want to watch and fantasize about what you want. And you don't need to take your partner's thoughts really into consideration. Just like your partner doesn't get to decide what kind of music you listen to when they're not home or what you're watching when they're not home. That is called being an adult. Our partners weigh in on what impacts them and what involves them. And that's the relational partnered pieces, right? So we're really going to be talking about how to be more mindful in sex while with ourselves, but also with our partners, because we really start practicing while with ourselves. And again, just as always, for those who want an expanded explanation of this, my book, Rebel Love, my second book, really gets deeply into this. Sex Outside the Lines, my first book does as well. Um, <clears throat> but masturbation is our first, for most of us, our first healthy experience of sexuality, right? Sex itself. But again, think about it. It's, we're supposed to do quietly. No one's supposed to know as quickly as possible. We're not really taught that it's something that has pleasure and we should have confidence in it and we can take our time. And it's really about self-care and joy. I don't want people rushing through their dessert. I don't want people rushing through spending time doing art or reading, right? Or, or dancing or listening to music. Masturbation is the same way. We should be able to carve out time and space to really be with ourselves, right? To really enjoy ourselves, to really just let ourselves wander. <clears throat> that's self-care. That's joy. That's rest. Um, the beauty of sex is that unless you're trying to have a child, uh, there really is no goal uh, other than fun, pleasure, connection, intimacy. Sometimes it's not about intimacy or connection. Sometimes it's just about fun. It's about pleasure, right? It's about checking out. It's about dis dissociating. It's about self-soothing. It's about getting closer to self. But we're bringing in the mindful piece because I think that there's a lot to learn from that. Um, 
It's about, we wanna learn how to be more present with ourselves. And part of this helps heal some of the issues within some of the sex lives we lead. Um, I wanna share a really startling statistic with you. And I think that, I don't know, I think that this is really meaningful and I wanna use this as somewhat of an inspiration. So there was a research done on um, orgasms and uh, heterosexual individuals. So they were cis hetero people, you know, again, God bless that that's how most research still goes. And they're looking at that when women masturbate alone, right? When they masturbate, they orgasm about 95% of the time when by themselves. Uh, when women have a partner of the same gender, when a woman's with a woman, they orgasm about 64% of the time, right? When they're with a man, seven. Why is that, do you think? Well, it's a thousand reasons. Gender roles, sexism, uh, lack of female sexual empowerment, lack of uh, sexual confidence and sexual esteem and communication skills. When women are with themselves, they just focus on pleasure, they let go, they relax, they know what they like, where they wanna be touched. When they're with another woman, there's a breaking of that script. Um, you know, Remember, heterosexuality is often obsessed with penetration and genitals. And the bulk of women more, you know, about three fourths do not orgasm from penetration alone. They need secondary stimulation in addition, or they completely don't need any penetration and they just need outer stimulation of some kind. Now, when they're with another woman, there's no obsession or focus on penetration necessarily. It's just about pleasure and going for what someone finds pleasurable. With men, the reason why women only orgasm 7% of the time well, is because often the man's worried about himself and thinking in terms of penetration, which is the least impactful way to help a woman orgasm. And women are afraid to ask for more or different. Men don't know any better. Um, it's, it's a whole mess. And this topic isn't so much about fixing that, except for understanding that mindfulness is part of how we change that. Who are you sexually? What do you like? Well, how do we begin to learn and understand that through sex with ourselves? right? And that's where masturbation becomes so important. But we can't learn about ourselves unless we use it in a way that is transformative, right? And that's where the mindfulness comes in. Uh, we got to take a little break and we're going to come back and we'll keep kind of unpacking this. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris. Love Line is brought to you by Astroglide Personal Lubricants and Massage Oils for Everyone. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. And we're talking about uh, mindfulness, but in terms of uh, sex, that's right, they connect. And I think we learn a lot more about ourselves and how to be partnered when we are mindful in our own masturbation. And that's about being present with ourselves, right? It's also about exploring beyond this localized area. We really think that our genitals are our only erogenous zone and our entire body has the capacity of providing pleasure, but we tend to localize it in these very few areas. And we focus on that and we don't take time to wander. We don't take time to explore. We don't take time to realize that even while with ourselves, even if our one hand or a toy we're using is performing the standard ways we masturbate, we still might have another hand, right? That we could grab another toy or a toy and just use that hand to touch and explore the rest of our body. We're doing two things actually when doing so. We're realizing it feels good to be touched in other ways and we're also just slowing down. But what would it mean if we actually entered sex saying, we're not here to necessarily do anything. We don't have to accomplish it. It doesn't have to be orgasmed or penetrative. It can just be fun and connective. And you realize my whole body can be a part of that. What would it mean if I wasn't obsessed with orgasm or penetration and I just utilized my whole body? What would it also mean if in a mindful way, I focused on warming up? We warm up to go to the gym. We do all sorts of interesting rituals. To, we prepare ourselves for a date. We might play music, get ourselves dressed, whatever. Like we have so many interesting rituals to get ourselves in the game, psyched up, ready for, prepared. And with masturbation, we don't do that. What if we stretched? What if we danced a little bit? What if we moved around? What if we sent, set an intention, right? And I often, I like to pose these questions. I like to give people these literal and theoretical questions to really pose, to help understand why they're having the kind of sex they're having and why they're not having the kind of sex they wanna have. So here's the first question. Why are you wanting to have sex and masturbate? 
I love couples asking that question because please don't think sex between two people that are in a relationship or married that it inherently is always healthy. Sometimes it's actually very unhealthy. Sometimes it's very toxic. Sometimes it's a way to deny looking at the problems. And other times the reasoning is really poor because you're afraid of losing them because whatever it is. So I love that question. Why am I about to have sex with my partner or this partner or with myself? What am I seeking? What am I doing it for? Like I love that question and and that there's an intention tied to that. What is that about? And if you don't like the answer, go deeper into that. If you're saying, because it keeps them happy and they leave me alone, uh, because I think that that's my role, right? Because I'm afraid we have nothing without this. Oh my God, beautiful entry point to realize you have work to do. Maybe you'll say something more positive or reinforcing, such as because I love them, because I want to be closer, because it feels good, because it's fun, because I want to build a relationship with this person. But it's really good to not treat it as though it's neutral, because it's not. Sex with self and other is not this neutral thing. It has meaning. It has an impact. It matters, right? And then we swoop into, and this is a really great way to bring mindfulness into anything, is like that first question, why am I about to do this? What am I trying to get out of it, right? What's the purpose or meaning? But then this next one, my famous before, during, and after. How do you feel before? How do you feel during? And how do you feel after? Now, the during is meaningful as heck because sometimes we might realize it sounded good now that I'm in the middle of it. How do I feel why we're doing it? I'm not enjoying it. Well, then stop. People are really blown away when I remind them you're allowed to stop with your husband, with your boyfriend or girlfriend, with a hookup. You're allowed to say, hey, you know what? I was having fun or it sounded great. This isn't really working for me anymore or the chemistry is not really feeling there. Let's call it a night or let's let's go for a walk instead or whatever it is. People don't really feel empowered enough to exercise that, but we have to. That's part of consent for self and other. I don't want, part of being body positive and sex positive is not forcing our genitals or our bodies to participate in something they're not interested in doing. If you're not enjoying sex or sex with that partner or that sex act, say no. That is being sex positive and body positive, saying I'm not gonna force my hand, my mouth, my body to participate in something I don't enjoy or wanting to be a part of. And even if it's felt good in the beginning and you got into it, you're allowed to midway say, yeah, I don't wanna do this anymore. And we don't have to feel bad about it. And then more importantly, how do you feel after? Do you feel better off or worse off? Because sex should always leave us feeling at least neutral, if not better off. That's why we're doing it. It's like dessert. We don't need to eat dessert. Should put a damn smile on our face. And if not, we shouldn't be eating it. But that's why I like mindfulness brought in with these questions, even with food. How do I feel during eating it? If you don't feel great anymore, put it down. Just because you started eating something or, or got something doesn't mean you have to finish it. Like that's part of mindful eating, intuitive eating. How am I feeling as I'm eating it? Oh, I'm not feeling great anymore. I'm feeling full. Let me stop. And then asking afterwards, how did I feel as a result of eating that? Not good? Maybe I won't choose to eat that again then. Or I'll choose to eat, stop sooner when I'm not feeling so good while eating it. But sex works that way too. Even if you're having sex with your husband of 20 years, you're allowed to realize while you're checking in the middle of it, this isn't feeling good to me anymore. And that might mean it's time to stop. That might mean you're no longer wanting to have sex with this person at all, or you need to ask for something different. That won't, that doesn't feel good anymore. Please have sex with me like this, or I'd love to be touched here, right? And that's why I love that. Why are we wanting to do this? And then the before, the during, and the after. We're bringing a consciousness to all the things we're doing in our lives. That's what I want for us moving forward. Why am I eating this? Why am I going to the gym? At the gym, conscious, intuitive working out. How do I feel before, during, and after? What's my goal? Is my goal to lose weight and to play into toxic gym and diet culture? Not a good reason to go. Am I going because I want to feel better in my body and I want to feel healthier and stronger? Great. How do you feel during? That's intuitive working out. I leave when my body tells me we've done enough here. I don't just keep pushing through. That's not being body positive. Body positive is honoring and listening to your body's communications, taking care of it. You don't need to be just pushing and pushing and pushing, but that's what our capitalistic, outcome-oriented, materialist culture tells us. More, faster, harder. Always be working yourself, always growing. If someone said to me, what are your goals right now? I'd say staying content. And that blows people's minds. What are my career goals right now in all my different careers? My radio show, my writing, my clinical directing. I'm the director of education for a program. Contentment. I don't want to do more. I want to do exactly what I'm doing. I'm working on being content, happy with what is, letting things be good enough. We don't always need to have a plan for next year. We don't always have to be working on growth. That growth mindset, optimizing, pushing, that's exhausting. That is not mental health. That's capitalism. Mental health is contentment. Happiness is contentment. 
We'll take a little break and then we'll talk about that. You're listening to Love Lab with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back. And I want to just circle back to a point made before we went to the break. I think there's something really beautiful in pushing back on this idea of always needing more. Happiness, we know from all the research, is tied to being content. Happiness is actually not always seeking more and better. That's unhappiness. So if you're unhappy in your life, yes, the things you do, you are doing might not give you purpose and meaning, and that's one of the most important parts. Also, number two, do you need to work on just being content? Your unhappiness might be trapped in this idea that I need to be different, I need more, or I need better, the opposite of being content. Being content with how you look, being content with what you're doing, being content with where you are, and focusing more on resting, and things that give you joy, and focusing on self-care. We need to reel it back in, but sex is also that way. Working towards better sex is not about getting the bells, the whistles, the costumes, the harnesses, the leather, the handcuffs. That is all great. But sometimes it's about slowing down, staying with one act for longer. What's your hand doing? Where's your mouth? Stay there for a while. Or move away from my genitals and incorporate some other element of my body for a while. Slowly making eye contact. I love that with clients. Have sex in ways where you can see each other with the lights on during the day. Make eye contact. Look up at them. Look down at them. Take them in. Bring them into the experience. Or the opposite. Block them out. Make it dark. Play music. Close your eyes. Go deeper into self. You're allowed to do that as well. Go into fantasy. Think about other things, other people. You're allowed to do that. We're absolutely allowed to do that. Just like if you're, someone makes you a great meal, you're allowed to add other spices and flavors if that's, what's, if that's what, who you are authentically, right? So the question comes back to, again, we're asking why are we about to do this? We're asking how do we feel before, during, and after? And the during is really important to say, how's this going for me? Do I need to ask for something different? Do I want to keep doing this? Right? We're bringing consciousness. But then also, what's your true need in this moment? Is there another need? Because sometimes we confuse boredom with horniness, right? Or loneliness with horniness. Am I lonely? Do I have shame? Am I bored? Is there another way to maybe get this need met? Is sex supposed to help me meet this need? Can it even, right? So we're, we're switching. We're getting away from autopilot. We're breaking those habits where it's just something we do. It's always done the same way. I don't know why. I don't know how. No, no. I want you to answer those questions. Why? What's your intention? Before, during, and after. What's the need you're trying to get met? But we have to be able to pause and slow down to connect to that, right? And checking in with our body. That's the body positivity and the sex positivity. Is this me? Is this what I want? Does this feel good? And that then gives us choice. We don't have any consciousness if we don't have choice of what is, then we can't even consider what can be. And we can practice that while with ourselves with masturbation, touching our bodies, slowing down, checking in, saying, how's this going? Is this feeling good? Or is this just what I always do? Maybe let me try something else. What if I went slower? What if I paid attention and looked at myself? What if instead of always masturbating, laying down, I stood up? What if instead of standing up, I sat down? Those little changes are massive. Also, because sometimes the way we masturbate aren't at all the kinds of movements we would use while having partnered sex, and that can throw some people off. Try to size mimic your masturbation where it's in a way that mirrors partnered sex, where instead of just not moving your body and just using your hand, you hold your hand or an object and you instead move your body, because that's what we often do while with partnered sex. It's our body that's really moving versus us sitting still and having something done to us. It's a shift, and that can help people work through some, some real blockages. So again, we're working on moving away from what we call somatic bypassing, and that's ignoring the wisdom and messages of the body. They're always communicating to us. You know, loss of erections, dryness, that's sometimes a sign I'm not turned on. And the work isn't, get me lube, let's get into it. The work is saying, why? Is it what we're doing? It's not exciting? Is it, I don't feel safe with you? I'm not interested in you? Is it that I have another need and I'd rather cuddle or hold hands or have a talk or go for a walk? Like, listen to what your body's saying. A lack of erections is your body saying, I'm not turned on, or I don't feel safe in this moment or with this person. Dryness, painful penetration. Again, your body's saying, I don't want them entering. I don't want them close. They are not safe, or you are not turned on. So you have to check in, is it the person? Is it the thing we're doing? Is it where we're at? Is it my relationship to myself and my body? What is that? But these blockages, you know, why am I not able to settle into this? That's a communicator. 
don't, don't just quiet that down and shut it off because that's what we do. We call that somatic dissociations where we focus more on just the right way, the correct way. We're in our head and we want to just perform it correctly. And so we're doing all the things we're supposed to do. It's very disembodied. We're just focusing on penetration and performance and we're not being mindful anymore. We've actually moved away from that. And that's really detrimental because we also then wind up often doing that in our relationships in general, where there's no actual, honest, true self ever showing up or asking for needs, right? We spend all of our time just performing the good wife, the good husband, the good partner. There's no truth in any of that. It's scary to be our true selves, but that's an important thing for us to do, you know? So that's why this mindfulness can be brought into everything. But start by doing it with the sex piece. Um, all right, coming up next, we're going to be gliding into those DMs. Uh, so if you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. And if you want to check out past episodes, you can do so by going to wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my face, bam, click on it, and there it is. Um, yeah, binge, post, share. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris. Loveline is brought to you by Astroglide, personal lubricants and massage oils for everyone. We'll be right back. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, we're back. Now it's time to glide into those DMs. Gliding into the DMs. This DM says, hey, Dr. Chris, my best friend Eric is dating this guy, Benny. And they've been on and off for about five years. They started off pretty rocky, but have come together. And I'm really proud of them. I like it. It took five years, but hey, they worked it out. They stuck it out. We grow. We mature. Hopefully, right? We learn about ourselves. We look at ourselves in that relationship and say, who am I as a partner? What do I need to work on, right? The other day, my best friend let it slip that the reason they have stayed together is because Eric relies on Benny for money. Okay. So it sounds like... (laughs) Ah, it can be a motivating force. Finances, right? Basically, it's an agreement, not a relationship. Okay. I wanted to say something, but I didn't. And I've been thinking about it ever since. Is that normal for someone to do that? Well, it doesn't matter if it's normal. And uh, what is it you'd want to say about it? Because your thoughts about it really don't matter. Unless someone's being harmed, keep your mouth shut. People do all sorts of interesting relationships. And look, just because this one is explicitly an outright about money, Don't knock it. A lot of people stay in bad marriages because of money. Most of those housewives on that show are constantly complaining about their husbands and boyfriends and are only with them because of the money and the lifestyle. A lot of people do that. It's not a good reason, I believe, but people get to choose their reasoning. I support people that are in relationships for all sorts of reasons, right? Love, finances, care, support. But I just want to point out that a lot of people are stay in their marriages or relationships because of kids or money or their lifestyle. They're, Benny and Eric are just a little more honest about it. That doesn't make it bad. 
right? Just like sex is for all sorts of reasons. A lot of people have sex just to keep their marriage together, not because they actually enjoy it or want to be with their partner. Anyone that's complaining or saying poor, or talking poorly about their boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife is clearly in it then for something other than love, right? Because we don't talk that way about people we love and we work through things and we resolve. So, you know, I, I don't think that this is especially heinous, but it doesn't matter what you think as long as no one's harmed. And it sounds like they've been working this out for five years and they're both happy. You said you were proud of them. So when you see them and you're together, it sounds like it's pretty functional. So keep your thoughts to yourself. It's, it's not normal, but it doesn't, but again, normal isn't the goal. Healthy is the goal. Normal is not the goal. Authenticity is the goal. Normal is not the goal. Mental health is the goal, you know, and this is working for them. A lot of people have interesting arrangements, right? I work with people that are entering relationships and jobs and all sorts of different things for all sorts of different reasons. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and what works for you doesn't work for them and vice versa. And times are tough. A lot of people have turned to getting sugar daddies, sugar mamas, uh, finding people that are, you know, wealthy and don't mind spending their money on someone for some attention or some care or some love or some fun or some companionship. And that's legit. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, but remember that I want that to be like, I guess the bigger learning lesson is that we're not all trying to be normal. We're trying to do what makes sense to us and what we need based on who we are, the context of our life and what we've been through and continue to go through. You know, um, a lot of people are in relationships that don't make sense to us, you know, but as long as it's full of love and care and compassion, yeah, so it is. And I'm sure there's aspects of that. They enjoy each other. Otherwise I worry more about the relationships where people it is bad for them. It is toxic. It is abusive. And they stay in it because they don't think they deserve better. Or they stay in it because of the, you know, the kids or they stay in it because of the money. And then the problem isn't why they're staying. The problem is the problem, the toxicity, the violence, right? The lack of love. Um, so, you know, but I love relational, creative, relational and sexual diversity and creativity. You know what I mean? We should have relationships fit our needs. We shouldn't be squeezing into different relationships, right? Because that's how it's always been done. There's hundreds of ways to build a relationship, right? Hundreds of different ways to relate to people. Some people are doing what we call things like relational anarchy, where they're not doing the hierarchy of prioritizing this love relationship. All relationships are just as meaningful and prioritized, right? The friends mean as much. Um, some people are doing open relationships. People do multiple relationships like polyamory. So many different ways to do it. You know, all can have health if the people inside of it are healthy. That's really the definition. Whatever you're doing is healthy if the people doing it are healthy and they're getting their needs met and it's not negatively impacting them, right? They've been in this bad boy for five years, so something's working. All right, so that is our show. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to be talking about harm reduction um, and also how to get a body-neutral, healthy you know, perspective on ourselves to deal with uh, the coming horrible memes that are going to be body-shaming because the summer's coming. Um, yeah. That is our show, though. If you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. And uh, as always, past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out. And you enjoy the rest of your night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.